Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for the modern parent working in the modern world. Join us as we interview leading experts in their fields to unveil the secrets working parents need to succeed at work. Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast hosted by the Spiegel Law Firm, where we focus on representing people who have been subject to pregnancy and other forms of family responsibilities discrimination. My name is Tom Spiegel. I'm the host, and I am uh, thrilled today to have with us Amanda Turner, who has written a number of different publications, but one that's called a series called Vagabonding with Kids. She has a blog and her own podcast, which I recommend that folks check out. But Amanda, I will turn it over to you to tell folks uh, a little bit about yourself and where they can find you. Thank you so much, and thank you for the opportunity. Yes, my name is Amanda. I write under the name A.K. Turner, and I've written a parenting humor series, and now I'm doing the travel parenting humor series that you mentioned, Vagabonding with Kids. And people can find me at vagabondingwithkids.com. I'm also on Twitter, at Vagabonding Kids on Twitter. So yes, and I, I love to connect with readers and parents and anybody sort of interested in this parenting as a multicultural pursuit. Yeah, no, I, I, you have a fascinating story. And we will put all this, all these links in the show notes for anybody who wants to check it out there. Well, you, as you know, one of the reasons that I, that I started this podcast was to you know, address the, or at least uh, talk about, start a conversation about the phenomenon in which we have parents you know, facing numerous cross currents you know, today in terms of what they're expected to do for their children in terms not only in providing for their physical, but also their emotional well-being and having increasingly fewer resources in terms of time and a network of family and friends to help do that. And so there have been any number of books written about the difficulties with that. And, you know, unfortunately, we've, we've, there seems to be something going on where this is a phenomenon for a, for a lot of people. And you have taken this to a different angle. I, I, I think you, you've referred to parenting uh, as an extreme sport, which, which it can be. But you've, you've, you've gone the, the pathless travel. So can you tell, tell us a little bit about how you started what you're doing and what prompted you to do that? Well, long before my husband and I had children, we traveled. My first big trip, I went to Russia when I was 15 for a study abroad program. And then my husband and I got together and we actually traveled for about two years working in movies and television. So we would live, you know, wherever that movie set was. So all all over the world. And then when we had children, there's sort of this feeling like, oh, well, we're going to be parents now. So we have to settle down and not travel or the only travel will be uh, two weeks a year, you know, or just Disneyland. And you, you can just fall into this conventional thinking that that's how it's going to be, you know, and you can only travel when the, the school year is not in session and whatnot. And over time, we began to reincorporate travel into our lives and decided that it wasn't necessarily something that you could do despite having children, but that it was a benefit. You know, it's a benefit not only to us, but to our children. It's a benefit to our relationship with our children as their parents. 
and it, it fosters so many things and it brings a new angle of education into our children's lives. And so once we got into this sort of thinking, we just decided that it needed to be a priority, that travel was going to be a priority for our family. And I'm not talking about weekend trips, you know, we'll do two to four months in another country and figure out how to live and work there and experience that life and that culture. And we just, we're not full-time digital nomads. You know, we travel maybe four months out of the year. And there are some families who travel for years on end. And so we just found the right balance for us, which is, you know, quarter of the year, maybe a third of the year, and decided that that was going to be a priority for our family. And you say you 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 made that decision before you had kids. Is this something? No, no. We started. Let's see. We went to. We did a one month trip when the kids were two and four. We did a three month trip the following year when they were three and five. And so since that time, we've just said, okay, this is really important. Let's make sure that we keep this going. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that you you talk about in your you know the first blog on your uh, on your site is that you know there are many upsides to this but this is not an easy necessarily an easy pursuit it's not comfortable i think it's what you talk you talk about the the idea of comfort can you talk a little bit about that well you know that yes i mean the logistics of relocating your life and work and family to another country for a few months can be complex. It's much easier to, you know, sit at home and binge on Netflix and, you know, just have that. And and I love that. Don't get me wrong. Exactly. Right. right. No, I say, you know, the, the best thing is just like ordering takeout and sitting on the couch and binging on Netflix. And I love that just as much as the next person. But I think, and the, the way to really appreciate those times is to make sure that that's not what you're doing all the time. And I think what you have to do is say, well, what's something I want to do, but I haven't done because it's uncomfortable. If the element of discomfort is the reason you're not doing something, then it might be something that you very well need to do. So the first time you you do one of these trips, no, it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. And I guarantee you it's not going to go according to plan. But the value that you're going to get out of that is going to outweigh all of that discomfort. Yeah, I'm sure that that's true. So tell me, well, first of all, two things. I mean, talk about you know, the, how that has affected your family and your children. And then the, the second part of it is how did you decide to start writing about it? So I write a lot about the benefits of this for children, and they are many. One, it's good for all of us to realize that there is a world much greater and varied than just what we see in our neighborhoods. And so just getting out and having that exposure to different cultures, different languages, different ways of life, different geographies, all of that has a benefit. It's going to broaden your perspective. It's going to better inform your decision-making, your problem-solving abilities when you bring that broader perspective to any given issue. It fosters language. I mean, even if we're not becoming fluent every time we travel to a country where English is not the native language, just exposure to language is beneficial, especially in young minds. And learning about other languages, it also helps how we view 
our own use of English, how, how we understand how language works. It fosters gratitude. You get appreciation for the fact when you're back home that you can sit on the couch and binge on Netflix, you know. You appreciate those things. So there are so many benefits. And in my children, I also see a growth in confidence. I just think in terms of of well-being, it's done wonders for them. And then in terms of how I came to write about this, I wrote, as I mentioned, a parenting humor series. This little piggy went to the liquor store Mommy had a little flask and hair of the corn dog. So you can tell from the titles that these are wildly inappropriate books. And that's kind of the humor that I like. Towards by the third book, I knew that I wanted to put that series to bed and move on to something else. And at the same time, we had we were incorporating more and more travel into our lives. So it was sort of a natural progression to take that parenting humor and explore that with the backdrop of different countries that we've lived in. So I wrote Vagabonding with Kids, which is really sort of an overview of the how and the why we do what we do. It's not a how-to book at all. I'm still firmly rooted in humor, but it's an overview. And then after that, I published Vagabonding with Kids Australia, Vagabonding with Kids Alaska, or Vagabonding with Kids Brazil. Anyhow, there's, there's a whole series based on the location where we travel. What would you, well, let me, well, were you a, a writer before? Is that, was that your profession? Or is that something you did after you had kids? How did that work? Well, I think like most writers, when I decided I wanted to be a writer, I then spent a decade thinking about writing and talking about writing, but not actually writing. And, you know, I've had my share of waiting tables and cleaning houses and doing all of those those jobs. I became a full-time writer with the first humor book, This Little Piggy Went to the Liquor Store. But it, it was always something I wanted to do. And it, it came together when that first book came out. And that was in 2012. So since then, I've been writing full time. I averaged a book a year. And now I'm, you know, sort of on the cusp of two books a year. Okay, well, I see, you know, and, and to get into a little bit of how to two, I think interesting questions. First is it's a little further afield, but I would not be surprised if some of our listeners have this interest. For those of uh, that are listening who are still in the talking about writing rather than actually writing, how do you how do you break through that to sit down and actually do it? Like, how did you do your first book? And then more in line with uh, maybe the theme of this program is you know for for a parent who's listening to this, being like, wow. You know, that the idea of having extended travel with my children is really appealing, but I have no idea how to go about that. Where should they start? Okay, so to your first question about how to break through and get to the point where you are actually writing instead of thinking about writing. You know, it's funny, it was actually a lawyer friend of mine years ago who was talking about when he he wanted to go to law school. He was in a different field, but he'd always thought about going to law school. And he met a professor who said, you know, you're however old you are right now, let's say he was 30 at the time, you know, you're 30 right now. In five years, you're going to be 35. That's going to happen regardless. Whether you go to law school or not, in five years, you're going to be 35. So ask yourself, do you want to have your law degree by that time or don't you? And he put it in these really simple terms framed in time. You know, we don't have any control over the passage of time, but we have a lot of influence on what we do with that. And so I like to frame that to aspiring writers in terms of, you know, next year is going to be next year. That year is going to go by no matter what. 
do you want to have the draft of a book by this time next year or don't you? If the answer is yes, then let's schedule out how to do it. Not that it was that easy the first time I wrote a book. My my first book I worked on for about five years. And like I said, now I'm, I'm doing two books a, a year. You have to get that first one out to get the confidence. And then it becomes easier after that. You're not... I mean, the self-doubt and the second-guessing never goes away, but it, it becomes a little bit easier. But it's really, it's, it's about commitment and it's about drive. I, I mean, a lot of people who say, oh, I don't have time to write, but they can tell you everything that happened on the last season of Dancing with the Stars, you know. So sometimes you just have to make those decisions. What is it you want? And you have to sit down and do it. The other thing writers have to do is give themselves permission to write something that's really awful. When you sit down to write, so many writers struggle with this in the beginning. They'll write a sentence and it's horrible, so they erase it. And they'll write another sentence and it's still horrible, so they erase it. You have to let yourself write the words that are not great. And then you can go back and work with them and shape them into something that you're proud of. But it rarely comes out that way the first time. To your second question, where how would parents get started in something like this where they're they're traveling, doing extended international travel with their children. Yeah, a lot of people, the they say, oh, I can't afford it, or oh, but what about school? And really, those are, in my situation, those are the secondary questions. Those can all be, there are workarounds for, for those issues. The main thing for us that makes it possible is can we be location independent with our work? Can my husband and I work and continue to work with just our laptops and an internet connection. If you can get your job structured to that, to where you are continuing to work and you know, you're not quitting your job or anything, but you can work from anywhere in the world that has an internet connection, then all of the other things can be dealt with. In terms of how you afford it, we use home exchange. So, and often when we set up a home exchange, we also have a car exchange. So we did this with a family in Brazil. We exchanged homes and cars. So by doing that, you automatically negate the expenses of accommodations and in-country transportation. And then in terms of getting there, we use airline miles. And then often we'll travel to a country where the cost of living is cheaper in the U.S. So when you factor all of that in, you know, our, our ideal goal is that when we are living somewhere else, we are spending less money than we would had we stayed in the United States. Now, that's not always the case. Australia, very expensive. That was a, a pricey trip. But in, in Brazil, you know, we were able to make that happen. In Spain, it was very affordable. And then in terms of school, that's the other big hitch that parents have. And you have so many options. There are online schools. There are free online public schools. There's homeschooling. There's world schooling. There's unschooling. And also, a lot of parents will find that if you speak to your children's public school teacher and say, hey, we want to take this trip, most of the time they are excited for you because they recognize the value in that experience and they will give you the materials that your child needs to stay caught up with the curriculum along the way. Now that's been my overwhelming experience, but keep in mind my children are still in elementary school and I understand that as the subject matter gets more complex as children age through 
the K-12 system, that might not always be the case. But, but so far, we've had, we've had wonderful luck with that. And we've also enrolled our children in overseas schools, you know, and that's an option too. Hmm. And how do your, I'm guessing, I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong, that for kids that are on the younger side like yours, that maybe they just, they don't know different. Do they, I mean, do they just take this in stride? Like, okay, this is what we're doing? Or is it unusual? They absolutely take it in stride because to them, this is just what we do, right? And you'll find that children, we, we get stuck in this mindset that, oh, the kids need this absolute routine And that's not always the case. I mean, sometimes we will travel and find that our kids are far more adaptable than we are as adults. So I think sometimes you just have to give them the benefit of the doubt and they might surprise you. How does it um, impact their friendships? Back in this, or do they, I guess it maybe expands. I'm just wondering, you know, for because you are taking them out and traveling so much, they may not have as much, at least in their school in the States, as time to bond with other kids. Do you find that not to be the case? How does that work? I will tell you, first off, my, my children are completely different. I have one who is the socialite, you know, I'm sure she'll be prom queen someday. She is just Miss Popular and everybody wants to be her friend. And then I have another who's the complete opposite. Sadly, she gets that from me. Sorry. But she is, she struggles to relate to her peers. She can relate to adults wonderfully, but she, you know, she has struggles with that. Well, for for Miss Popularity, you know, she leaves for three months and comes back and it's, oh my gosh, you're back. It's so, you know, she seamlessly reintegrates into those friendships. And she has like a best friend and she'll send, they'll send postcards and stuff like that when they're apart. But I don't think there's any negative to that. Now, in terms of my other child who struggles socially, When we come back from a trip, she now has something that she's proud of. And she now has an experience that other kids are interested in. And so honestly, that has been a benefit to her. And that's she's to whom I was referring when I said, you know, it can boost confidence. Like travel was actually a really good thing. And she has something now that she feels is all her own that she's proud of. And that's really helped her socially. Yeah, interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but that does make sense. How does this compare to, I mean, I'm sure you have friends and colleagues who live, you know, more of a traditional life in terms of kids are in public school and regular schedules, you know, as as my children do, who are, you know, leading the busy, you know, soccer, piano, martial arts, school kind of lives. Is your life less crazy, more crazy, crazy in a different way? Like, how is it for you when you talk to your friends here in the States? What is it? I think it's, it's very similar. So like right now, because we are here for a block of time, we're here for a few months. My kids have dance class twice a week after school. They have theater camp once after school. They're in the school running club. So they do all of those same activities. Now we won't sign them up for an activity if we know that, oh, they'll do it for a month and then they have to drop out for three months. But often, you know, there there's always something available that they can do just like all the other kids, you know, and complete that program because maybe our trip doesn't start until after that ends. There are so many programs that run, you know, eight weeks or 12 weeks. They're not all the length of the school year. So we have that same sort of crazy normal lifestyle, 
that the other parents who are here year round do. And then every now and then we pack up and leave, you know, and I, it, it just, it works well for us. We've, we really enjoyed it. I, I like both lifestyles and I, I think they complement each other. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. Do you, you know, one of the things I think about, you know, when you, when you have, when you're doing the, the United States based life, you're doing the karate and all of that, is that the stress after a while just becomes just because of the monotony of it just becomes grinding for for some people tell me if this is right my intuition is that while traveling is also stressful the variety helps with that 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 it you know the 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 just the different kind of stress that you're experiencing you know there's an anticipation of it rather than you know Oh, you know, I'm doing martial arts again for the, you know, 10th month now, and I just can't take it anymore. Is that right? Very much so. I think when we get into the normal routine here, and like I said, now they're in dance class and a running club and this and that and the other, it can get monotonous after a while. And so there's always this trip on the horizon to look forward to. When we travel, there's no monotony because it's so interesting and different. And a part of us does look forward to coming back and going back to those routines. And like I said, that's that's how I think those two different ways of living complement each other. I, I don't have any interest in, and I know many families who do this and love it, but I don't have any interest in taking two years to, to travel around the world. I really like having the life here and then the life abroad and then coming back. Like I like having both and I, I see benefit in that. That works for our family. But yeah, when, when you're gone, I mean, you're, you're living in a different country. It's such a great experience. It's a break from that monotony, but it also makes you appreciate that you have that routine to come, to come home to. When you um, were first starting this, and I know that your, your books are in keeping with your, you know, your, your humor writing. Were there books that you relied, how-to books that you relied on for this? No. Mm -mm. Well, I will say my husband years ago read The 4-Hour Workweek, and neither my husband or I are, it's not the title, it's not the idea of a 4-Hour Workweek that is intriguing to us. We both really like our work, and so we don't want to get it down to four hours. But it did present the idea and had some tips on the logistics of how you make that transition, how you get your life ready to move it to another country. There's a book called Vagabonding by Rolf Potts, which is excellent. And it's interesting because those two authors, Tim Ferriss and Rolf Potts are friends. But Vagabonding by Rolf Potts is really about the mindset. It's not a how-to, but it's about the mindset that you need to have in place to approach travel to make sure that, that you will you will benefit, you know, and it's it's not about collecting souvenirs. So those two were really good. But in terms of how to do a home exchange or the schooling? No, we just, we sort of just dove in and we kind of figure it out along the way, which isn't to say that we have anything totally figured out. We're constantly learning and we're also constantly trying new things. We've tried so many different forms of, of school. So it's not like, oh, this is exactly how we do it every time. It it may change and and that's okay too. I mean, I, I think that's that's good. So we just sort of adapt as we go. We're used to that now and, and it works for us. 
Well, and maybe it's similar. It occurs to me to writing, you know, starting to write a book. The, the, the you know, having the mindset first, and then the details will will figure themselves out. Was is that your experience? Like you, you know, basically committed to the idea, and then the rest of it. Not that it all fell into place, but you know, you figure the details out. Yes, I mean, I think when you approach a book, you sort of. You, you have the bones in place, you know, the general structure, but yeah, you're building on that to make it into something, you know, that you're really proud of along the way. And so, yeah, th- those details come, some of them come in through your draft, but then mostly in your rewriting and rewriting and rewriting, and then your editing, 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 then that's what fine tu- tunes it all into the finished product that you want it to be. But yeah, you have to go in confident that, okay, I know the basics of it, the basic structure. I'm just going to start with that, just get those bones down, and then we can build on it from there. Yeah, uh, and I was thinking that the travel, was is that is it was it a similar experience where you commit to the mindset, like the vagabonding mindset? And then, you know, because some people would, you know, maybe myself included, would think, well, you know, I need the how-to first. I need to get the how-to book and figure out how to do the travel and all that. But it sounds like you came at it from the other angle. Once you had the mindset, you committed to the idea of the travel. Then the details, you just because it doesn't sound like you read like one how-to book, you just figured it out as you went along. Yeah, and I think I think that's true for most. I mean, it is great to read accounts of other people doing similar things. It sort of gives you that confidence, like okay, we can do this. You know, th- this can be done. But to follow a definitive how-to it is not going to work because we're all different. We all have different family dynamics, different needs, different wants. And so we all, we also all have different a different scope of what we're willing to take on when it comes to travel. So you know, I I think my books ins- might inspire people to say, oh, this is funny, and look, maybe we could do something like this. But it's it's never meant to be a prescribed. You know, here's here's step one, two, three, because we're just we're all so different. Some people love the idea of traveling for six months. Six months doesn't really work for us. We just have to, my husband has to come back and, you know, make sure he checks in with his business here. It can't all be done online long term. And like I said, we also, we like our our life here as well. So no, I think it's one of the, you know, with any, any pursuit, you can spend forever preparing and planning and trying to learn. At some point, you just have to do it. You just have to say, I'm going to go for it. And what kind of work does your does your husband do that allows him to work remotely? You just he, owns, he owns a real estate brokerage. So he, oh, yeah. okay. he so, has um, people in his office. He has a team who can handle things. And he still works every day while we travel. And he has people who can handle a lot of the face-to-face with client communication. But it's still good to, you know, check in and check in with the team and everything in person every few months. Were there things that he had to do for his business before you started this kind of lifestyle or was he already set up to do Oh, no, he definitely had to really dial in his technology capabilities, of course. He had to create that team. You know, you can't, if, if you don't have that team in place, I mean, if you have a business like that, you have to have that team in place before you're going to take off because you don't want to come back to have it in shambles. I don't require that. I just need my laptop and I'm fine. So no, he he put 
quite a bit of effort into making sure his business was ready for this and that he could he could do this and not have it fall apart and it's again it's he for as much prep as he did a lot of it was learning as you go i don't know if you i mean if um if he relied on any particular resources i know there are a number of different programs like i was in a coaching program called strategic coach a number of them that you know help you kind of set up this they call a self-managing company. Did he do any of that or did he just figure it out? Well, he, he's read a million business books. So I'm sure he's done a lot of reading on it. In terms of a specific coach, no, not, no coaching program. He has, he does participate in a mastermind group. So he does network with peers and entrepreneurs to learn how they approach their business as well. But he's, he reads a, a lot of business books, but he is also committed to, you know, he knows that, that he can figure this out. He has the confidence that, you know, he, he checks in with those resources, but he also trusts himself to to think through that. He has that entrepreneurial mind to sort of say, okay, this is an interesting problem. How can we really make this work? And so far, you know, it has. It's interesting. I don't you if you run across him, I doubt you have. He's in a little different station of life. But a guy, an attorney by the name Lee Rosen, who has a, a family law practice in North Carolina, and he was a, a business coach for me for a while. But he has, you know, his kids have now, two kids, his kids have now, you know, in college, left the house. But he... um. He has sold, you know, they, they lived in Raleigh, North Carolina. They sold their house. They really pared down all their belongings. And they are I mean, a little bit different than you guys. Of course, their kids are out. But they are now, uh, you know, traveling the world. I mean, they come back occasionally, but, but most of the time. And he is continuing to run his law practice remotely. And he writes about it. Uh, his blog is called divorcediscourse.com. You know, you don't have to be a divorce lawyer to be interested in it because he he writes about, you know, all the tech he uses and, and his experiences. And it's just fascinating, you know, how he's made that work. And, you know, this probably very similar to your husband. He's got a good team, involved, you know, on the ground, you know, handling uh, things at the firm. Um, and it's been a great benefit to him because he's been able as as a result of being able to do, you know, travel the world. He's they have learned things that have allowed the not only him to travel and be away, but the firm to operate more efficiently and the people who are in the States and the attorneys who are working the case work them more efficiently and be happier. And, you know, he's got people all over. I think his managing, you know, the firm is based in North Carolina, but his managing attorney is in um, Charleston, South Carolina. You know, he's got his tech guy. It just basically travels all the time. He's never anywhere. I mean, he's he's he is a true true digital nomad, uh, and it's fascinating to read. Well, read good for him, and that's that's a great example of an unexpected benefit. Like he might not have thought, oh, this will really do wonders for streamlining and and promoting efficiency within my business. But that was an unintended side effect, you know. And that's I think that's really great. Yeah, no, it's it's really it's interesting to read read his blogs and live vicariously and all the things that you know that he's doing. It's it's really fascinating. So that you're right, I can see it has all kinds of ancillary benefits. Well, in kind of this closing out here, is there anything else that you uh, think important for our listeners to hear? Anything we haven't covered that has been, you know, something that's been a learning experience for you or an eye opener or anything about insights about parenting? Well, I would just say the the biggest 
thing for me is not getting stuck in a mindset of convention. And, and I still do that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying I have this down, but any, anytime I have the thought, oh, this is how it's done to step back and sort of question that and say, well, okay, you know, maybe that's the best way to do something. And maybe it's not. And I think, you know, first time parents learn this right off the bat, because all of a sudden you get all of this unsolicited advice on parenting, right? One person is like, this is how you do this. And this is the best way. And another person says, well, this is the best way. And they completely contradict each other. And so for me, what's important as a parent is just to constantly remind myself that, you know, maybe I need to find my own best way. Maybe there's something different and just being open to that possibility. Yeah, I think that's a, you know, you're right. I mean, parenting is a great example of learning even if you were living a conventional lifestyle, everybody's got to do what, you know, and, and when you have your first child, you think, or at least we did, there's a right and wrong way to do this. And you quickly become disabused that, that that's, you know, for each family, it's different. And you've just got to figure out what, what works for you. Yeah. I think that's a great insight. Well, thanks so much, Amanda, for coming on the show. Um, it's been a, been a thrill for me to talk to you and, and to, to hear about your life. Now, do you, I know you do the writing. People can check out your books, can check out your blog. Do you also do speaking engagements or no? I do. I do. And sometimes those center on travel and promoting multiculturalism, the benefits of that. Sometimes they're straight humor. I've done live comedy events. So it's sort of across the board. And then, of course, I, I've done a lot of speaking on writing and the writing process and, and how to nav- navigate that world as well. And they can, if somebody's interested in hiring you to do that, they can contact you through the resources you, you we put in the show notes? Sure. Yep. Through Vagabonding with Kids, there's a speaker's page up there. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for being on the show and, uh, and look forward to hearing about your next adventure. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Parents at Work podcast. Are you interested in learning more about our show, our hosts, or today's guest? Do you have a comment or question you'd like to share with the Parents at Work community? Then contact us at www.spigglelaw.com slash podcast. We'll see you next time.